What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. You guys, my book is out. I mean, it is out in the world. I cannot believe it. I have been writing it for several years and it's just mind-blowing. Birth Story, Pregnancy Guidebook and Journal is a -a one-of-a-kind discovery into your pregnancy that provides you education through storytelling. So what's it really about? In the 16 years that I have served women with every personality type, I noticed there was a huge disconnect between what my clients were craving for childbirth education in a book and the books that were actually available on the market. There seemed to be unlimited resources if you are looking for an unmedicated birth or a natural birth or a home birth. But there just weren't a lot of resources for my clients who were part of the 92% of women birthing in a hospital and very much open to medical interventions like an epidural, nitrous oxide, and opioid medications. So I wrote that book to fill the gap for you. Week by week throughout your pregnancy, you will engage with material meant to educate and empower you as you plan for your own birth story, hospital, medicated, unmedicated, or something in between. You are welcomed each week with a postcard from the womb, which is an adorable note from your baby about their miraculous development, as well as the amazing changes occurring within you. Then you are invited to use an uplifting birth affirmation and to respond to an introspective journaling prompt to document your feelings, curiosities, and wonders every single week. With room to memorialize your own birth story, this book will become a memory keeper and a legacy gift for your baby. You are encouraged to read one of my favorite birth stories each week filled with childbirth education, tidbits, and explanations of important medical terms and procedures. These are real-life accounts shared with permission from the births that I've attended during my career as a doula, and I gave you a great mix. In the 42-week guide to your pregnancy and 42 birth stories, seven of them end in cesarean section. About half are unmedicated and the other half are medicated deliveries. This is a judgment-free book. So take what you need from each element and leave the rest. Okay, are you ready to buy? I would love for you to go to birthstory.com and buy it directly from me. But I totally get it if you're an Amazon girl. You can head to amazon.com and just type in birthstorypregnancy 
and the book should pop up. I'll deliver it straight to your doorstep. And I would venture to say that you might be an audiobook kind of woman because you're listening to a podcast. So if you would prefer to listen to this book, then I have recorded it and it is available for download at audible.com or on your Audible app. Thank you for being part of the birth story community. I'm so excited for you to have this book in your hand once you've purchased it and it has arrived. I hope that you will give me your thoughts and feedback and don't forget to take a selfie with your book and post it on Instagram and tag at birthstorypodcast. Today, I've got Carrie in the podcast studio talking about her two cesarean births. So welcome, Carrie. Thanks. Tell us a little bit about yourself to get started. I am originally from West Virginia, but have lived in Charlotte forever at this point. And my husband is a native Charlottean as well. And we now have two healthy baby boys. One is four. I guess they're not babies anymore. One is four and the other is two and a half. I had two cesareans within 19 months of each other. That's crazy. And we are going to get into it. So let's go with Jason. You're first. Yes. Okay. How long did it take you to get pregnant? Took three or four months to get pregnant. So that, you know. That was all good and easy. And um, Did you have to do any kind of like ovulation kits or like what were you on birth control like previously? Yes, I had been on birth control for years. Okay. And then um, and then because I'm neurotic, we did ovulation kits. I don't know that they were necessary, but that was just I felt like I could control the situation more a little bit better and then but you were also a little bit older so how old were you I was 34 when I got pregnant oh okay yeah geez time just goes by so fast it's unbelievable okay so you and your husband were like it's time to have a baby you did some ovulation but you didn't really need them and then boom how'd you find out you were pregnant well because we were very purposefully trying like I was like waiting 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 and You know, so like as soon as the pregnancy test could tell you that you were allowed to take the test, I was taking it. Okay. (laughs) And was it positive like the very first time you tried? I was getting a little better of like at least waiting until the day my period should start. And it was positive at that point. So So let's go back. So that means if you were purposefully trying to get pregnant, Mm -hmm. that means there was probably two months where you took pregnancy tests that were negative. Right. Was that true yes. then too? Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell everybody about that. Like, what's it like to be married, decide you're going to have a kid, do an ovulation stick, have sex at all the right times, right. and then you take a pregnancy test and it's negative. Like, it's frustrating. And because we were a little older, I, I immediately jumped to, is something wrong? Even though, you know, it's not necessarily guaranteed that you're going to get pregnant on the first try. And lots of people don't get pregnant on the first try. Yep. Um, it, you know, it's frustrating. It's very upsetting that like, wh- this should be simple. Why is this not working? Right. Or I've tried all of these years on birth control to not get pregnant. And so like, clearly the second I don't take birth control, <laughs> I'm just going to be pregnant. Exactly. When you have sex unprotected, yes. you know, that's this the should, obvious result. This should just be easy because I've been purposefully trying not to for so, so long. long. And then your husband's, when you said we're older, he, how old is your husband? My husband is nine years older than I am. Okay. So, so you were like 35-ish and he was like almost 45-ish. Exactly. Then. 
Now, did you guys do any family planning or like, did you do anything with your OBGYN before you decided to come off birth control and get pregnant? We did not. Uh However, the minute I knew I was pregnant, we did every test available, all the genetic testing. Okay. So walk me through that because I did not do that. So and now I wish I would have. Uh, Anyone who's listening, I think it's kind of a cool thing. I wish I would have done the genetic testing, but I didn't. So how does that work? Like, what is it? What do you do? It's just a blood sample. So during one of my early visits, did the blood sample and they test for a myriad of different potential genetic disorders. So we did that. That was more pressing on me because at the time, my cousin was going through trying to diagnose her son who had a lot of learning disabilities and they were trying to figure out, I mean, honestly, just trying to put a label on all of his difficulties. So he had developmental and learning disabilities and they were trying to to decide what that was and and how to best treat him and a treatment plan for him okay. moving forward. So you're, they just did like what, vials of blood yeah. and then sent them off? Sent them off. That sounds very easy. And it took like a week Did maybe? your insurance company cover it? So my insurance company did cover it. And I've seen that different insurance companies do different things. Mine covered it. And I don't know if that was because my insurance company just covers it or if because... In certain circles, I could have been considered a geriatric pregnancy. Yes. yes. <laughs> In certain circles, uh, I could have also been. That is so fun. Okay, so it really was just easy. You got a vial of blood taken. It was covered by your insurance. I mean, there really wasn't a reason not to do it. Exactly. So what did that panel show you? So that panel could have shown us the gender, okay. but we opted to not find out the gender until birth. But that showed us that we, you know, had a healthy baby that in conjunction with, you know, all the doctor's visits to check the heartbeat and yeah. all of those things. But from a genetic standpoint, you didn't have any red flags. No in red flags. Penal. So, well, that's a breathes, you know, some relief, right? As right. you're going and then what is that around 10 or 12 weeks? Just nine weeks. I oh, believe. nine weeks. So it's really early. Mm-hmm. You could find out the gender super early. Yes. So tell me about your medical history and your health going into pregnancy. Like, are you healthy? I was healthy. However, I did have a, well, I do have a neurological disorder called pseudotumor cerebri. Okay. So what that is, is that sometimes my body produces more spinal fluid than it drains. Okay. And when that occurs, I get all of the symptoms of a brain tumor. So doubled vision, a weird noise in my ears, horrible, horrible headaches. So I was diagnosed with that when I was 21 or 22. Okay. Um, and knew then that sudden weight gain can cause this to reemerge and be a problem again. So okay. pregnancy is most often the time that if you see the symptoms reoccur, pregnancy is generally the time that you have the most rapid weight gain. Okay. And so I knew that that was potentially something that would come up during my pregnancy. So as soon as we confirmed that I was pregnant, my OB started working with my neuro-ophthalmologist. How to watch this, how to see if we were going to have a reoccurrence of this and what we needed to do. So what came of it? Um, A lot of extra doctor visits between the two of them. I, my neuro-ophthalmologist checked my sight because the first symptom is that you lose some of your peripheral, peripheral vision. Okay. 
but not even enough that I would notice it except during this test. So they okay. kept a close eye on that. Luckily, I didn't have any issues throughout the time, but they were great working together to make sure that we were keeping an eye on it. Just on top of it. Mm-hmm. Now, did they put you on any special diet or anything so that you would not rapidly gain more weight than necessary? No, okay. they did not. Um, they did tell me, like, don't go crazy. You're you're eating for two, not ten. You know, yeah. those things. They tell but- that to everybody. <laughs> So you you had pretty much freedom in your pregnancy diet. Yes. I had overall a very healthy, easy pregnancy. So tell me about the beginning, like nausea, vomiting. No nausea, no vomiting. So lucky. Okay. I really had a dream. Like you, did you love being pregnant? Did you like it? I liked it until I was so big that I couldn't sleep. Okay. And for me, that was around eight months. Okay. Because I have enormous children. So 30-ish, 30, 32 mm -hmm. weeks. And you were like, I can't sleep. And Mm -hmm. so when you say you can't sleep, do you mean like you're waking up often to go to the bathroom or you mean like you can't breathe? Like what does that mean I can't sleep? I just would wake up constantly throughout the night for no real known reason. I would, it wasn't to go to the, I mean, I would go to the bathroom twice, maybe three times. So that, that seemed livable given how someone was sitting on my bladder, but it was more just, I would just wake up and look around and be like, there are no noises in the house. Why, why am I awake? Yeah. (laughs) Just completely unexplained. So here for anyone who's listening, I feel like this is like a good teachable moment. So like, what did you do? Because there was two, two and a half months left in your pregnancy. And I mean, I'm assuming you had to sleep some. So what did you do when you were restless and sleepless to try to get back to sleep? For the first little bit, I kind of ignored it. And then I started like exploring different ways. Is there some other way that I could be more comfortable? And so I tried one of the pregnancy pillows where it goes between your knees and helps even out your knees and your hips. That gave me some relief, but not an enormous amount. Uh, And what I did really towards the end was I slept on our couch sitting up. Okay. Because that was the most comfortable. Was it a recliner or just just a couch? It was just a couch. So I was reclined a little bit on some pillows, but I was mainly propped up and that allowed, finally allowed me to just pass out. Okay. Overwhelmingly for anyone who's listening, if you get a little big or you have a tendency to have bigger babies and it puts a lot of pressure to on your lungs and your diaphragm and it's just, it's harder to talk, breathe, sit, anything. So many moms find relief from the incline. Mm-hmm. So they make little wedges that can go um, under your mattress to prop you up. But then like just pillows, 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 right? Like All the pillows. So all the pillows in the world. And then um, that pregnancy pillow, was yours the big S-shaped yes. kind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So maybe we'll put a link in the show notes to one of those um, pillows because they are pretty wonderful in keeping um, your hips and your knees um, And particularly open. if you're having hip pain. Yep. Those help a ton because in my second pregnancy, it was a big, it was, it was a big, it was much more useful. So now as your pregnancy went on, like 
I'm sitting across from Carrie and she's not a very tall person. So you can imagine shorter women with short torsos, like your belly goes out and mm-hmm. you can't hide the baby as much. But like, was there any indication that your babies were extra big? Did they think that? Yes. The, okay. At the doctor's appointment, like not so large that we were concerned about anything, but yes, I was carrying large children and I did I stuck straight out so if you stood behind me you almost couldn't tell that I was pregnant with Kevin my second I ha- I can remember being in the self-checkout line of Harris Teeter and I was on my phone talking to somebody and one of the employees turned around and tapped on the monitor to get my attention and I looked up and she goes how many are in there oh my gosh I told her four. <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> Just to see what she would say. I did. Did you ever, did you come clean? No. Oh my gosh. I love you. I just I told love her you. there were four and like I watched her eyes like about bug out of her head and then I got my groceries and I left. I'd be like, can I have some free formula? Because I only have two breasts. Right. <laughs> and we're going to get to that in a minute as to why right. we couldn't even nurse anyway. That's awesome. During your pregnancy, do you have, or pregnancies, did anybody else say anything that just really got under your skin that you can remember? So, spoiler alert, I went past my due date. Yeah. And so, with my first child, I would, again, be in the grocery store or in Target or wherever, and I was huge. And people were like, oh my gosh, when are you due? And I would say, last week, and they <laughs> were so uncomfortable. They were so uncomfortable. <laughs> and they were like, should you be here? And I'm like, I promise if I thought I was having this child right now, I would not be in Target. I would not be in Harris Teeter if I thought I was in labor. Like, (laughs) Exactly. Did you, um, okay, spoil alert of your second (laughs) child. I know that you had a summer baby. Yes. Did you, um, did you get in the public pool? I did. I totally did. (laughs) Okay. I remember people being in the pool and people asking, when are you due? And me thinking, Oh no, I'm going to have to lie right now. So you got in the pool too. I I was probably around 30, 34 weeks. I I don't think I went after 34 weeks. Um, Such relief though, when you can get into a pool and take that weight off. Although I will caution, part of the reason I stopped going to the pool was it felt so great in the moment to have all that relief. But my pain in my hips was much worse than like, three or four hours after I got out of the pool. So just, I mean, it's not a reason to necessarily stop you from the relief, but it can happen that your body's like, whoa, what happened to all that gravity relief? Right. Okay. (laughs) We were just having this conversation the other day about pain relief when the epidural fails. So when you have an (laughs) epidural and then Gary's cheery right now, and then you're like, you get all this relief and then it stops working and then all of it comes back and it feels like it's like a hundred times worse than it was originally because your coping mechanisms, you let all your coping mechanisms go. So same thing with the pool. It can have the same effect. You're like, oh, I'm 120 pounds again. Right. You know, like I'm free as a bird. And then you get out and you're like, I just peed my pants. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. So let's get to the end of the pregnancy because we've kind of like spoiled it a little bit. Right. So they were thinking you were measuring big. Like they were thinking this is not 
a tiny baby. This is not a tiny baby. And everybody that I know are like, oh, you're going to go early. You're so big. You're going to go early. Definitely going to go early. Mm-hmm. And I just luckily did not believe them. Okay. And so, yeah. And <laughs> so your due date so came my, and went. So my, what? when was that? My due date was December 28th. Oh, God. Okay. So right my at child- the holidays. <laughs> right. So it's a good thing, you right. know. So, and my birthday is the 30th. Mm-hmm. So I did not want my child to be born on Christmas Day, selfishly. Okay. I wanted him to have a separate day from Jesus. Yeah. And I also didn't want to share my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you wanted the tax. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. The tax break by delivering it, uh, yeah, before December. Um, maybe it was back then. Maybe it was. Almost five. So, But yeah, so he was due December 28th. So December 28th came and went. Yep. I don't know that this is true, but in my head, once you go past your delivery date, you start going to the doctor every like three days. Sometimes. It depends on like who your provider is. Yeah. But you go from like, you know, the four weeks to the two weeks to to the the one one week week to often. Now, some doctors will see you at 40 and see you at 41 weeks, but others will bring you in for what's called a non-stress test. Yes. And that's what I was really going for. Okay. So maybe at 40 weeks, three days or something, they brought you in for that. What does that look like? So you get hooked up to the the fetal monitor and... They also hook you up to take your blood pressure and keep your heart beat. And you just kind of lay there and hang out and watch TV for a while. And then they, in my case, they said, everything looks good. See you in three days. So, and that's what, one or two hours of monitoring? About an hour, I believe. An hour of monitoring. Okay. So they were like, baby looks good. Mm -hmm. And then did they do an ultrasound? The second time. Okay. So then you went back at 41 weeks, Mm -hmm. I guess. And then they did an ultrasound and another NST, and they're like, baby's still good. good. Did they check your cervix? Yes. Any dilation? None. So you were a completely closed cervix at mm-hmm. 41 weeks. Uh, wow. I may have been like one centimeter. Let's talk about your headspace. So you're 41 weeks. Were you still working? So this is so because I'm in education, I had left work before Christmas break. Not planning to return to work. But January 2nd rolled around. I still did not have a child. So I didn't want to start my maternity leave because I wanted the majority of it on the after yeah. he was born. So I went back to work. I Oh, my God. It was awful. I would have had a nervous. I'm like, <laughs> right now, my stomach is just like turning over for you. So here you are. You're like... December 15th or whatever, school's out, I'm done, I'm going to have a baby, and then you have to go back to work. You have to go back to work. I had passed off all of my work to all the wonderful people who were going to cover my maternity leave for me, so there was really nothing for me to do while I I would take on like small little projects that could be handled in a day or two. But yeah. Was working from home an option? It was not where I was at that point in time. So yeah. So I definitely like. All right. Let's just make a little public service announcement to all employers out there (laughs) and human resources. (laughs) Find a way to let your employee who's 41 weeks gestation work from home. 
It's the safest thing for everyone. Okay. That's right. All. People so. didn't want to be on the elevator right. with me because everybody knew yeah. I should have already had this child. Like it was, it was crazy. So you oh. went back to work. I went back to you work. You were 41 weeks. Then. I went, and I will say I went back to work because I needed a distraction from focusing on. When's my baby? When's my baby coming? Okay. That so makes absolute that, sense. That was, I'm sure I could have said, no, I don't want to do this, but I chose to go back. Okay. To have something to do during the day. Okay. So then you're 41 weeks. 41 did weeks. you try natural induction techniques? We did some. Like I walked okay. hundreds of miles, I feel like, in okay. the freezing cold <laughs> through my neighborhood. We had sex. What about at the um, doctor's office? Did they do anything like sweep your membranes? Or They did not. Okay. Um, I think you know? part of it was because like nothing about my body said I was anywhere close to being in labor. Except for the fact that you were 41. Except for the fact that I was 41. <laughs> well, eventually he had to come out. So after 41 weeks. So you went to those two appointments. I went to those two and appointments. then what? At, once you hit 41 weeks, no. then what did that look like? So my blood pressure and his heartbeat and my fluids still looked great. Okay. And my, As evidenced by ultrasound? Yes. Okay, so they had done another ultrasound. Mm-hmm. My doctor was great in the, as long as I was willing to kind of let the baby be in charge of the situation, and because our health looked fine, let's let it ride. But I vividly remember, 42 weeks was on a Monday for me. Okay. I vividly remember being in the doctor's office Friday afternoon, And I'd had the non-stress test. I'd had another ultrasound. Everything looked fine still. Yeah. And I remember... And at this point, you're 41 weeks, five days. Yes. Then. Okay. Mm -hmm. And my doctor looks at me and he was like, if you're just over it, I can send you to be induced or I can give you until Monday, but Monday is the deadline. And I sat there and were you with your husband or I were was, you alone? I was with my husband. Okay. I looked at my husband and I was like, I just feel like let's give him a few more days. Okay. And our and my doctor was like, okay, that's fine. Talk about a self-fulfilling prophecy. I looked at my doctor and I was like, I've read that if you induce and there's no sign of the baby being ready to come, there's a good chance that I could be induced, labor for three days, and end in a C-section. And he said, that is a possibility. And I said, let's give him a couple more days. Okay. So All right. we did. So, well, let's talk about that weekend. Okay. okay. So you know, like, there's a deadline. You know, Monday or a few days after, you're going to be having a baby. Did you? Were you having Braxton Hicks that weekend? No. Okay, so all of these traditional signs of, like, your mucus plug, still intact. Vaginal fluid, not there. Like, bloody show, not there. Like, you weren't having, like, your body was, like, closed for business. Exactly. Baby was good. Okay, so that weekend you were, aside from not being able to sleep, though, was there, were you happy? Were you in a good (laughs) mood? I mean, were you, like, what was that weekend like? I, in general, was still in a good mood. I was very thankful that, um... That my doctor supported not intervening since there was no sign that we had to intervene. Yeah. And I felt fine except for the sleep. So I I tried that weekend really just to stay low key and rest as much as possible because I assumed that I would not be sleeping for the foreseeable future okay. once this child arrived. Yeah. 
All right. So you did not go into labor. I did not go into labor. So what time was your appointment on Monday? 11 a.m. We got to the hospital, got sort of settled, and they started on Pitocin. I'm going to interject right there. The fact that you can remember that it's 11 a.m. And I'm going to give this particular hospital a score of 80%. On this decision. I'm like, it's the morning. You had a chance to sleep through, you know, as much sleep as you could. So I'm going to give them a a B plus an 80% score on the 11 a.m. If you are listening to this and you are getting scheduled for an induction, make sure that you do it as early in the morning as possible so that you are as fully rested. You haven't wasted any energy at all on just breathing and being alive before the induction starts. So like... Maybe you sleep until 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning and 11 o'clock a.m. is the perfect induction time. But maybe you wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and so 7 a.m. is the perfect induction time. I just want to put that in there. So many hospitals are like, come in at 7 p.m. and we'll start the induction. And you're like, huh? Who? Who? Like at 7 o'clock, I'm watching Netflix and going to bed. Like who starts labor on purpose? At at 7 p.m. So anyway, okay. So I just wanted to put it in there. (laughs) 11 a.m. is good. Right? So it's good. You're rested. You've had a meal. We'd had a nice breakfast. And so we sit and wait. We watch some (laughs) movies. And they're turning up the Pitocin. They're turning up the Pitocin. Okay. At some point I had Cervidil. Okay. Which is to soften and open the cervix. Yes. And makes the I went for a walk, contract. You know. In the uh, hospital? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I just took you, I guess you took the back the IV with the you. The IV with me. Yeah. Just let me walk and was your rear end hanging out of your nightgown or uh, did they put you in regular clothes? They they let me double the the okay. nightgown. So I had one on the front and one on the back. This is a really good thing to tell everybody at the hospital. <laughs> you, you can use two gowns. Yes. Arms through the front and then arms around the back like a jacket. Yes. You get a two-sided uh, hospital I, gown. I guarantee that in one of the drawers in that room is a whole drawer full of gowns. So yes. just take what you need, yep. cover up, and go for a walk. Yes. Um, so you were doing laps around the hospital. I was doing laps around the hospital. Come back, watch another movie. Did they give you like a a bouncy ball? Or any? There was a ball in the room. There was okay. a jet tub in the room. Okay, and then there was some other weird chair that was super comfortable because I don't remember much about it's it. Called a birthing chair. I just liked it. It's got um, a hole in the bottom of it. No, it looks like a toilet was, seat. No, this no. was just a regular, like a rocking chair, kind of. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> they usually have in the hospitals here. We have like a rocking chair that kind of it moves a little bit. And then we have a birthing chair that looks kind of like a toilet seat. This was probably the, the rocking chair. Okay. So, so. You know, I didn't need anything with a hole in the bottom at this point. <laughs> so. Uh, so. Not yet. Nothing's going on. Right. So the day is just, it's a normal day, but you have IVs and, and right. nothing's happening. And it's nothing's happening. So for everyone that's listening, Carrie is an outlier. It is very rare to be 42 plus weeks, to have no signs of labor at all. To be induced for hours and nothing happening. It happens. But I just I just want to scare everyone who's listening. I no. want to educate everyone. This is a possibility. Yes, but it's you know. not a guarantee. Yeah. I am if your body is not ready, it's, it's, not, it's not ready. It's not, it's ready. not going into labor. So, so what happened next? Bless the doctor that was with me around seven PM and he said, We're gonna take you off Pitocin. Order something for dinner. Have a nice meal. 
we'll start this again in the morning. In the morning. Okay. Now, the morning was like four or five in the morning. So, like, okay. it was early. But they were like, we're going to give your baby a break yes. from Pitocin. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, were you having any contractions that you just weren't feeling? They were showing up on the... The monitor. On the monitor. But I wasn't really feeling, feeling anything. So anything. just a really mild contractions. Right. Okay. So I was like, because they would come in and they'd be like, oh, you're having a contraction. And I was like, oh, is this what that? Like, and I'm like, oh, I can handle this because I'm feeling nothing. Like, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so strong. So strong. <laughs> So strong. I love, I've had a couple interviews too where it's like I was on the Mitocin and I wasn't feeling anything. Really if you're in active deal. labor, you feel, you're feeling something. Yes. Um. So uh, here's the thing that I want people to hear from this too. If you get induced at seven or 11 in the morning and you're laboring all day and really not much of anything's happening, like I love that your care provider gave you this option to shut it down. Just get through the night and see if tomorrow's a new day. See if tomorrow your body's ready. Exactly. Okay. So we tried. So they did serve a dill like at some ungodly hour of the morning, like 4 a.m. Okay. And then we started the Pitocin again like around 5.30 or 6. So they started early the next morning. Did you rest or sleep at all? I did. Okay. I did. I mean, not great, but I wasn't sleeping great at home at this point. But you felt, you still felt rested. I felt like. I can do this. I can do this. Okay. So then around 10 a.m. That, that morning I started feeling more contractions. Okay. Still nothing crazy. Around 10 a.m. my water broke. On its own? On its own. Oh, your first sign of labor. Right? Hey, it's Heidi. I'm interrupting the podcast to let you know about a free resource that I've created for you at birthstory.com. All you have to do is go to birthstory.com and then click the tab that says the workbook. Once you put your email address in, an entire resource library of all of my secret sauces are available to you for free as my thank you for listening to the Birth Story podcast and being part of this community. At birthstory.com, under the workbook, you will find a birth plan template, articles on circumcision, delayed cord clamping, flipping a breech baby, packing your hospital bag, acupressure points, placenta encapsulation, and so much more. There are over 20 free articles ready for you to download at birthstory.com. Now let's get back to this amazing episode. Great. And like, all right, we're At picking 40, this up. We're moving down. Two weeks and two days gestation. Your yes. water breaks. Yes. Yay. Okay. And I'm like, all right. Can't be long now. <laughs> and this is 10 a.m. This is 10 a.m. Okay. So after my water broke was when I like legitimately started having contractions okay. that I felt. It was like game on. And yes. this is very normal. So Things get a little bit more intense and pick up when that water is gone. Yes. So, so and you know, there we go. We're off and running and okay. I'm moving around because that. I did not like having contractions while lying down. Okay. For me, I felt much better moving, moving your body. Moving. So that I That feels still intuitive moving. just to even hear you say um, that. Like 
instead of feeling like having pain happen to you, you're working with the pain. Yes. Yeah. And okay. so, so what think, kind of moving? Dancing, rocking? Just... I was still walking. Like, I wasn't walking so much out in the hallways anymore, but okay. I was still walking a lot. And yeah. I would sit on the ball for a while because that relieved the pressure in my hips a lot. Yeah. Also, this is, I don't know, this is probably going to sound weird. I would like, hold, like lean over onto the bed a little and Dave would like push my hips yeah. in. Okay, so that's called a double hip squeeze. We will, uh, doulas do this for the entirety of labor, almost every single contraction. Yes. So like when I'm finished with a birth, like my arms feel like they want to fall off. Your husband's probably felt the same way. Probably. So we'll link in the show notes to a double hip squeeze. It's really important. If you don't have a doula, it's really important that your husband or your partner knows how to do a double hip squeeze because as Carrie's saying, it provides a lot of relief. ton of relief. Um, so we just kept on with that. Okay. And did you want to have an epidural or did you want to have a natural birth? Like what was your head? What was your mind thinking? So my birth plan was to have a baby. Okay. Um, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but because of my pseudo tumor, I didn't know er, from with early the on fluid. if C-section was going to have, was going to be the safest route for me. Okay. Um, Were there so, any contra? There wasn't a contraindication with the spinal fluid and doing a spinal epidural. No. Okay. Well, so, that's good. Yes. Okay. So I made it to around six o'clock that evening. Okay. So from ten to six, which doesn't sound heroic, but it was. If uh, it makes you feel better, <laughs> let me just interject. Jagger had already been born eight hours. So whenever people say like, "Oh, how'd you have a natural childbirth?" and I'm like. That story that you're telling, my my baby was born. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's how I did it. I I labored naturally for eight hours and then he was in my arms. Right. So you're eight hours into labor and your cervix is what? Three centimeters? Three centimeters dilated. So you have a lot of labor yes. to go. A lot, a lot yes. of labor to and go. And the pain had gotten to the point that I was like, I... I think this is what I'm going to decide. I want an epidural. And so they just rolled that in like Because you already later. had an IV of fluids going. Mm-hmm. So it was no problem. Yeah. So from the time you decided I want an epidural, you think it was about 45 minutes later? 30 to 45. It, was, it felt quick. Okay. Like I've asked for this and they are bringing it to me. Yes. <laughs> la la. Epidural. Right. Okay. <laughs> What I didn't think through so well is that you were then stuck in the bed. Okay. Where you weren't able to move, which you were enjoying moving. Yes. Okay. So that is something that like I wish I had put together or someone had said, we will happily get you an epidural, but know that you're not leaving the bed once we do that. Because you're a fall risk. Right. Because your because you legs can't are feel numb. your legs. Yes. Yeah, so like, because your legs are numb. So, but I think it's important to tell people why. Why can't you leave the bed? Right. Well, they have to monitor you continuously now. Like, yes. so instead of intermittent monitoring of the baby, now we have to monitor mom and baby continuously. You're a yes. fall risk. I'm a fall risk because I can't feel my legs. I mean, yeah. I get it, but yeah. I didn't put the two things, to, like, I was looking for pain relief. <laughs> but you still wanted to move. But I still wanted to move. <laughs> yes. Because I felt like that was also providing a level of pain relief. Yeah. But what happened when the epidural went in? Did you feel, like, did you instantly feel better? I did. Okay. I did for uh, several hours. And the this is where the peanut thing comes in 
helpful because yeah. even though you the can't peanut move ball. around, the peanut ball can yeah. help provide some additional relief. And the peanut ball for everyone who's listening, which I'll also link in the show notes, it's literally what it sounds like. It is a humongous ball in the shape of a peanut and it goes between the legs and there's clinical evidence that shows that when you have an epidural and that you are in bed laboring, when you use the peanut ball to open up your hips and your pelvis, it shortens the length of labor. Did that happen in your case, Carrie? It did not happen in my case. Well, that was a good so, clinical try. It does actually. It does actually. The clinical data is good on it. It made though. me feel better. Yeah. Like I, I experienced some relief of my hip pain. So yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't a, I didn't know that it was supposed to help speed things along. So for oh. me, it worked great. Perfect. Uh, I was just using it for a different purpose. Yes. Pain management oh. tool. <laughs> so then around midnight or one, I started calling the nurse and I was like, ah, uh, my back hurts so bad. We have to do something. Okay. And she said, yeah, the beds are really uncomfortable. No, she did not. Yes, she did. <laughs> you are in two days of labor. You have an epidural. Yes. Okay. And um, so, oh, I'm just I, I'm just getting I was like, uncomfortable right now. I was like, no, okay. something else is going on. Some- and you're in bed with an epidural, and you're like, my my back is hurting. Do you mean back pain or do you mean pressure in your rectum? Like, are you wanting to crawl out of your skin? Uncomfortable? Sweet. We're in transition. But anyway, that's where, where I, as a doula, that's where I would have gone. Like, oh, two days, you know, 42 weeks and two days and two days of induction. And now you're relaxing with an epidural. Boom. Transition. Yes. But no. So the doctor did come in. And checked your cervix. Maybe was thinking the same thing. Okay. And at this point, I had made a giant leap to (laughs) seven centimeters dilated. Oh my God. Well, that's actually like, it's really, that is kind of a big leap though. (laughs) Okay. That is kind of a big leap because literally once you get over that four to five centimeter like hump, Mm -hmm. you can go from seven to 10 and one contraction. So it is, it doesn't feel like it is. Not in your case, but it could be a huge leap. Right. But he was like, it's really the position of the baby, though. So he felt your baby was still high Mm -hmm. and your cervix was seven. So we we went like another hour, hour and a half. Of you being in pain? Yes. And so at that point. Hold me. (laughs) (laughs) So at that point, she comes in and she could have not been more kind, more gentle, and she said, she checked me again and I had made zero progress from, from seven, the last check. From okay. the last check. And she said, I think at some point we need to start considering the possibility of a C-section. Hold on right now. I have a question <laughs> because <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable with everything that's happening. Where's your pain button? Oh, I've smashed okay. that to the point that they've told me I'm getting no more. Okay. Because if you have an <laughs> epidural, you can hit the button. I'm yes. like, you can hit the button. So I you're hitting the button. no relief when okay. hitting the button. So I don't want to like take, steal your thunder, but I'm like, <laughs> but I'm assuming that the epidural has, is not, is gone. Like it, it did is, it fall out? Did it, it is it's not working? Completely gone, but I did not realize that until I got down 
and met the now new anesthesiologist who's on duty. Okay. Because we've been playing this game so long. Because now you're like, I can feel everything. I can move my legs. I can feel everything. I've made no progress. Yes, I'm not progressing. And she is so gently suggesting that maybe we should start considering a C-section, to which I reply, how quickly can we make that happen? Okay, I was wondering if this was like a sense of relief, like because yes. you said your birth plan was to have a baby. Yes. Like nothing else on that birth plan. So I'm imagining if someone says, let's roll, let's fix that epidural <laughs> or let's have a baby. Yes. Okay. Well, no one was acknowledging that my epidural was not working. That's frustrating. It was very frustrating. So they roll me down and I'm like laying on the bed outside of the operating room when I meet the new anesthesiologist. And he's like, I just need to, to gauge how much of your epidural is still working. Can you try to lift your leg for me? And I did essentially like a waist high kick. Oh my God. Like you're a ballerina. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he goes, oh shit. You have nothing left. Yeah, duh. That's why I've been and telling I, you that I my said, back hurts. I keep telling everybody I'm in a lot of pain. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he did a lovely spinal block okay. for me. Can you walk us through do you, what that process was like? Having an epidural in place mm-hmm. and then getting a spinal block. I don't remember a ton. Okay. The spinal block, like I remember them giving me the epidural. And feeling all of that. I didn't really feel the spinal block from the point of like the needle going in. Same though, goes into your back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I remember also hysterically, they're always like, crunch up and bring your knees to your chest. But you're a thousand months pregnant. So that's a little difficult. Yeah. I'd be like, this is just the shape I am. This is my shape. It doesn't go forward or backwards or sideways. Right. Sure. Sure. I'll bring my knees to my chest. No problem. I would be like, I can't, couldn't do that before pregnancy. <laughs> but a miracle happened. You put a 10 pound baby inside me and then all of a sudden my knees go to my nose. No okay. problem. So I just remember like him saying, okay, it's in and I'm lying there. And like, finally the pain really was gone. Yeah. And I just was like, all right. Let's do this. Like, hello. Yes. You feel good. Just such and you're a like, sense of relief. And you, have you had surgery before this moment? No, I have not. So this is your first time. This is my first having time having surgery. surgery. Were you scared? Um, no. Okay. I was too tired to be okay. scared at this point. What time is it now? Three a, uh, Almost 3 a.m. On Wednesday. On Wednesday. So now you're 42 weeks, three, three days, days gestation. Yes. You know, Santa Claus is about to come out of you. Right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and you felt nothing. I felt nothing. Okay. I felt a little pressure as he was coming out, but okay. like that was really. And where was your husband? Right at my head. Right at your the head. Whole time. Was he like talking at all or is he just quiet? He's pretty quiet, especially when things are serious. So okay. he was very quiet. And you were making jokes? Of course. Okay. Because that's how I deal with everything. <laughs> I can tell. I right. Just... Sure. And this is so funny. Like one of my like most vivid memories is if they take it, if they take the baby, you go with the baby. Like okay. wherever they take the baby, <laughs> you go with the baby. Like, like don't, don't, me- don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. We've worked this hard. Like stay with the baby. Again, birth plan. Have a, have baby, a baby. Take home a baby. There you go. Have a baby. Take home a yes. baby. Okay. So yeah. So I mean, 
they get Jason out. Dave gets to announce that it's a boy. Okay. So I would say within about five minutes, he was in my arms. Were they? St- and I'm assuming they're still suturing you at this yes. point. Yeah. Yes. So while they're still suturing you, you're able to hold mm-hmm. your baby. Absolutely. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So let's talk about n- your nursing experience. Yes. I want you to share that with people. So baby comes out. You're like, I'm going to nurse I'm my baby. nurse. And similar to I'm going to have a baby, it was I'm going to feed my baby. So I, was, I, had, I had not had my heart set on exclusively nursing or, you know, any of that. I was like, we're going to try it. We're going to do our best. And See that was. happens. Yes. But then, like, there's this, like, weird thing that happens in your brain after you actually have the baby. And you're like, I want to nurse this baby. Especially when milk, even if it's not a lot of milk, but some milk comes in, you have a natural desire Mm -hmm. to express it. Yes. To get it out of you. It's physically painful. (laughs) The baby cries and you tingle and you feel Mm -hmm. it and all that. So, you know, I get that. So we planned to nurse and he was latching okay early on. Not great. He would pop off a lot. So, you know, they let you go home after 48 hours after a C-section. So we went home, but everything seemed good when we left and he seemed to be latching. He seemed to be getting, and then go to the the pediatrician, what, like two or three days later, three days later, maybe. And he had lost a significant amount of weight at that point. Oh, we forgot to say how much did he weigh? Oh, Jason weighed eight pounds, 13 ounces at birth. Ooh, okay. So, so basically nine pounds. Right. So a nine pound baby at over 42 weeks gestation. Oh, and the that's reason a big my baby. back hurt so bad is he was... OP. Yeah. She's, um, she's doing the gesture for OP. I'm sorry. <laughs> that to the rest of the world would mean face the wrong direction. So face up instead of face down. So the so. reason my back hurt so bad was because he was trying to come out of my tailbone. Explained a lot. Yeah. I mean, this is just, I'm like hearing your story and I'm just like, oh, I think everyone who's listening is just, let's give everyone, let's give Carrie like a virtual hug through the radio waves or podcast waves, like (laughs) almost 43 weeks gestation, almost a nine pound baby. Like, uh, I don't know if it's called a failed induction, but I mean, essentially a failed induction, a failed epidural. I'm I'm definitely going to call that epidural a failed epidural. And then, okay, so now you're trying to nurse. I'm trying to nurse. The baby's I, I lost think it's weight. Okay. Your nine pound baby has now lost weight. Yes. Okay. So, you know, so the pediatricians, it's like, we have to turn this around quickly. He needs to be gaining weight. And I'm like, I'm on board with that. And so I go in to see the lactation consultant at my pediatrician's practice. Okay. And she was an angel sent from heaven. My very first appointment with her, like, she's like, let me see him nurse. And get undressed to to start that. She goes, has anybody told you that you have tissue damage in your breasts? And I was like, no. No. Never. Were you like, I've actually never even heard of that I've before. I've never even heard that that was a thing. So most everybody listening doesn't know what that is either. So tell us, what does that mean? So as I went through adolescence, mm-hmm. something that we don't know the cause of did not, my breast tissue did not develop the way it should for me to produce milk. But just in case anyone's saying, thinking right now, because we're on the radio and they're not, we're not, I don't even know what we're on. What are you on when you're on a podcast? (laughs) People are listening to you though, and they can't see you. Carrie has very normal looking breasts. 
Yes. So you wouldn't know from like looking at you like, no, you have normal breasts. They look perfectly normal. Yes. So not, I mean, you have a t-shirt, <laughs> you have a t-shirt on, but I'm just, right? you yes, know. We're talking about yes. the fact that they're not Sorry. here. Yes. I do have a We're not on. naked in the podcast studio. So she's feeling them and watching you nurse. And she's, she's like, this is them. tissue damage. Now, one thing that I had never paid attention to, like, I know that I'm small chested, but they kind of point out. Okay. Like when not in the confines of a bra, they sort of point in a V. But what direction did they want them to point? Apparently forward. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) When you are extra large breasts. They also point out? They point in every direction. (laughs) Swing to the left, swing to the right, swing up, swing down, wherever you need them to go. So anyway, that's why I'm curious. Okay. So So, smaller, they point in a V. So mm -hmm. was that an indication of tissue? That is an indication of tissue damage. So So. the reason I say that she was an angel sent from heaven is because she looked at me and she's like, this is going to be hard to hear, but I'm going to tell you right now, you can do absolutely everything on the internet that it tells you to produce more breast milk but you will only at best produce half of what he needs okay so you were like um i don't need to order 500 lactation cookies and some guinness beer right okay like and and that was helpful to like it was it was a little blunt like a release but i needed to hear i i can't do this like your body physically physically cannot this is not for lack of effort this is not for lack of trying. I will only at best produce half of what he needs. Okay. So at that point I was like, all right. For some reason that makes me cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, I don't know why. Sorry. Um, I'm like tearing. Carrie's talking and I'm crying. Yeah. Sorry. So so anyway, but because I just feel like I'm so proud of you that you're like, you know, you're not melting down at this moment. Well, you're, now that you're crying, I okay. am a little bit. But I'm uh, <laughs> Well, I just want to say I'm sorry. That's something that feels like this is the thing. I think we go into like our our births and we think like, God, our body was meant to do. Our body is meant to go into labor. Right. Our body is meant to deliver a baby vaginally. Our ba- we're we're born to nurse these babies and then where where does this myth come from? Like that we're are, we're just born to do it all. Um nope. No. No. Uh sometimes a cesarean section is a gift. Yes. A gift of life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes formula is a gift of life. I yeah. think I think a big learning point was for me, I didn't, this was my first birth. Yeah. So in a lot of these ways, I didn't know, I knew that this was not totally the norm, yeah. but I think I was still elated to have a baby. Like I was still elated that I had a healthy baby boy. Like yeah. I think the takeaway is no matter how crazy the journey yeah. is, it's all okay. It's all okay. It's all okay. You still are m- many of us fortunate enough to walk away with our baby in our arms exactly. and raise them yes. to be, you know, and whether, beautiful human beings. And I was not one to have a very set birth plan or, or nursing a, plan. Or we always talk plan. about birth plans. It's all okay. And in the moment, even they just felt like bumps in a road. They sound a lot worse now recanting it than what it felt like in the moment. Yeah. What it felt like in the moment was just 
this is what I need to do to meet my baby. Okay. This is what I need to do to feed my baby. And you were still kind of probably drunk with all of those. Like, I just had a baby. 100%. Like, expect, yeah. 100%. Like, yeah. they, like, I just was madly in love with him. What choices did they give you for then feeding your baby? So, like, what? I'm, and I asked this because I'm assuming this one thing's taken away from you. But I'm assuming that you're still empowered with some options. Yes. Okay. So I had the option to... I, we could continue trying to nurse, just knowing I would need to supplement with formula. Okay. Or I could just go straight to formula. So I opted to try to nurse. What about pumping? So that came along later. later. So, okay. well, I guess it didn't because they wanted me to pump after I nursed to sort of try to get an idea as to how much I was producing. We kept trying to latch. He kept popping off. He was what is described as a distracted eater. I around six weeks or eight weeks decided that this was causing a lot of unnecessary stress. He could already take a bottle. You're going back to work, right? I'm going back to work. He has to take a bottle because I have to supplement with formula. Yeah. So I let go of this unnecessary demand that he also nurse. Mm -hmm. And so I pumped exclusively for 10 months. Holy Moses. Um, but again, That's I a didn't long know time. anything. I didn't know any different. You're amazing. <laughs> okay, because your kids are 19 months apart. So when did you get pregnant again? Uh, he was nine months old when I got pregnant. So you still pumped while you you probably didn't know you were pregnant. Were you pumping for a little while while pregnant. you were pregnant? Okay. Essentially, when I knew I was pregnant, I stopped. the news stopped. I stopped pumping. Well, high five. Let's high five that. Good job, um, Carrie. Because you could have just said, "Nope, I'm done. Formula only." I could. Which which if anyone chooses that, that's okay. That's okay. That's it's what totally I, fine. I was stuck in the, I have a lot of environmental allergies and I wanted to try to prevent him somehow in my head. If you had breast milk, you would not have as many environmental allergies. That well, there is some data that proves that. Right. Yeah, I'm so, like, so not always. Not always. You know, but, but yes, I thought you reduce the chances. This seemed like... A, a minimal thing to do to try to prevent to have a healthier to adult have a healthier child. Adult child. Yeah. So we'll we'll see how that turns out. Yeah. Uh, I kept up with about fifty percent of what he needed until he was right around ten months old, and then I like weaned off of pumping, and it was just too crazy. Like things were just too crazy to to continue doing that. But I I can pump in the car. I can like. I pumped everywhere. You imaginable. are a champ. Where was like the most unique place you ever pumped? Where I was working at the time hosts a clay shoot. And okay. if you're familiar with a clay shoot, it's where... I mean, I am because I'm from North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like skeet shooting. Yeah. So like someone pulls and a clay goes flying out and you take shoot a it. rifle and you shoot it. And I was working that event and there's no nursing mother's room. Right. There's no privacy. There's yeah. no privacy. So I pumped in the back seat of my car in a parking lot, which wasn't actually a parking lot. It was like a cattle field that had been turned into a parking <laughs> lot for the day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you use a nursing, uh, or I mean a nursing, a pumping bra? Hands-free bra? The hands-free bra. Those things are a dream. Such a dream. Well, let's talk about, before we go, because we're okay. almost out of time, but let's talk about exclusive pumping because yes. on my first, with me, I haven't told the story on the podcast yet, but with my first child, he was severely lip and tongue-tied 
and I exclusively pumped also um, until I was also pregnant with the next one. And so we have a we could have a whole entire episode <laughs> on exclusive pumping. Yes. But let's just talk for a minute. Like let's just talk about so the hands free bra. Like I know that that was like a huge savior. Huge for me. Another thing that people told me to do is in order to have a letdown when your child is not with you and Mm -hmm. you're not like holding, you know, if you're at work, you're going back to work and you're pumping is on my phone. I had all these videos recorded that I would watch and that would try to help stimulate a a letdown by hearing his sounds and Mm -hmm. looking at him. Did you have um, any rituals or any things that you did to try to help your letdown? The best thing that anybody ever told me was, particularly if you're working and exclusively pumping, get a Ziploc bag, like a freezer-sized bag, Okay. and in between pumping sessions during the day, don't try to wash all of those parts. Put them in that bag, put them in the refrigerator, and then you can just use them again the next pump. And so you're not using up all that time constantly washing you just wash at the end of the day when you get home and you're doing all the other thousand dishes interesting and i'm assuming the refrigerator thing is just to keep it clean like yeah you know it's the cold. same like, like as well because you know if there's breast milk in any of the pump pieces like breast milk is good in the refrigerator for up to six days so okay, this is huge everybody yes. is listening pumping so tips with you Heidi do not and need seven sets of pumping parts so that you have a different set throughout the day like just reuse and wash once a day. So I had a home set and a work set. I will say as much stuff as you can have a separate set for home and work. Yep, I agree. Is beneficial, particularly if you have a winter baby and live somewhere with a lot of mature trees and that come down in storms, uh, the battery pack to your pump oh, is yeah, worth for- every penny. Yep. And also a car charger. Car charger, yes. Car charger. I pumped on the car all the time. I was going to say I pumped to and from work on the yes. commutes because mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty efficient. Yes. I was like, well, I'm just driving home anyway, so we're just going to – I would put it on right before the drive home and then I would pump. And then um, actually when you're driving, when you're done pumping like 15, 20 minutes later, you just turn the pump off and all the parts were still on me. And then right. I would just <laughs> unhook them, you know, when I got home. So, all right. Well, we are going to probably just have to do a whole other episode where we talk about – Pumping exclusively um, to provide that benefit for our children. Carrie, it's been amazing hearing your story. Thanks for um, having me. And just everything that you had to share. It was really special. Before you go, tell us what was or is your favorite baby product. The Nose Frida. Someone gave it to me at a baby shower. Yeah. And I was like, I will never use this. And this then, is disgusting. How many times did we say that? When you're pregnant, <laughs> don't ever, just don't make claims when you're pregnant. I will never, never fill in the blank. Because you're going to do it. Never in the sand. You're going to you do it. You don't know what's coming next. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I did. I was like, I will never use that. So it tell is... everybody what is a nose Frida. So essentially there's like this blue tube that you like can put at the end of their nostril. And then there's like a straw and then a suction piece. And you can then suck the snot out of your children's face. Okay. So it sounds like you're sucking it into your mouth though but you're not no, I know there's that, a blue so. tube thing that you suck it into and there are t- there's a filter to make sure yeah. that it doesn't come into the straw okay um it is a thousand times more efficient than the bulb, bulb 
Yeah. And when they are super congested, like you can just provide them so much relief. Yeah. Especially when it's like three o'clock in the morning and you're so tired and you're Mm. pumping and you're like, oh God, my kid can't breathe. So the nose Frida and we'll link to that in the show notes. So thanks, Carrie. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 